0: Ladies and gentlemen, you have made it to Brave to the Bone podcast where we explore the dynamics of human courage in its most dynamic form, personal transformation. What does it take to dive into the unknown of ourselves? Who can help us get there? How scary is it to face our own edge? And what are the magic tools that we can use today to explore ourselves on this journey of healing just a little bit more? All the way from Hawaii, Zach Mathers joins us. He is the host of Braving the Journey podcast, where he shares meaningful stories so people feel less isolated on their journey through recovery and beyond. Today, he shares his powerful story about moving through shame, resurfacing, and his personal commitment to reshaping the sobriety culture by helping people discover their true identities beyond their own struggles. This was incredible. Enjoy. Zach, thank you so much for coming to the show. I'm so happy to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So name's Zach Mathers. I live in Maui, uh, Hawaii. So I'm super blessed to get a call Hawaii home. I have a podcast myself called Braving the Journey. The heart behind Braving the Journey is the belief that we all struggle. And in our struggles, we have a tendency to move towards A place of isolation versus stepping into community and i want to normalize out struggle i want people to hear stories of others and go oh i'm not alone begin to step into community versus living in isolation that rooted a lot from a place of myself i isolated for a really long time in life based off of off of some stuff i'm sure we'll dive into down the road host a podcast braving the journey i'm really excited i have this 30 day sober challenge coming out really soon so that's coming out and I'm dreaming, I'm a big dreamer. But I'm dreaming right now of putting together a kind of these 5-day retreats out here in Hawaii where they're sober retreats and we do a lot of yoga, meditation, teaching, cooking, adventures and it's just this just this experience that you walk away from going that was just life-changing and then you get to pick and choose from what you learned there and bring it back home. That's a little bit of everything. I mean, that's, that's the braving the journey side. And then my personal side, my wife and I run a nonprofit for the foster kids on Maui. So we do a lot of work there. I have three kids of my own that are amazing. They just got done with school yesterday. So they are officially on summer break.
0: That's amazing. So um, where did you grow up? Because I'm curious how you found your way to Hawaii and how that kind of fits into your story.
1: Um, So I grew up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. So Northwest, loved it. I mean, I I was a uh, snowboarded all winters and wakeboarded all summers, and just I had a, I had one of those like just super normal childhood growing up. Parents that absolutely loved loved me. Sister that her and I were actually really close, like oddly close. She was older than me by two years, but really close. And so I grew up there, and then I ended up. Going to Southern California to go to college. That's kind of where I first started, like really enjoying surfing and just the warmer weather. Met my wife there, and we moved to. Then that was kind of like a process. We moved to Seattle. We moved, took off traveling around the world for a while, and we ended up back in Coeur d'Alene. We've been in Hawaii now for eight years. So
0: amazing. Yeah. So, what happened with you with discovering the need for sobriety?
1: If you would have asked me to tell you this uh, a couple years ago, I wouldn't. I I wouldn't share with you. So, like I said, like growing up, I I had it kind of that I had this mentality where like whatever I put my mind to, I was able to accomplish at a pretty young age. I mean, like I think I built my first house when I was like 19 years old, and from there I started buying and selling real estate. So I'm like early on financially doing okay. I started nonprofit I think at the age of 20 start filming short documentaries around the world. And so I'm doing that involved in that. I get married at the age of 21. I mean, so I'm like, just kind of like bang, bang, bang. Everything's working and happening. Age 22, we move back to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And all of a sudden I find myself starting a church and I'm the senior pastor or the lead pastor, whatever you want to call it, of a church that's growing. And I am, everything is so like, like I said, like everything has always just worked out for me. So so that just kind of kept happening, and then all of a sudden, we're a couple years into this church thing, and I have my first kid. My son is on he, he's my wife's pregnant with him on the, on the way, and we've been married for three years now. And I started really struggling with this idea that I had to have all the answers for everybody, that I had to have everything figured out, because that's that's the way my life had played out. It was like, oh, Zach knows how to do it all. And then I found myself getting into this space where I was like, I don't know all the answers. And so I began to lie about it. And I, I I mean, like, even like, I just had this, like, I had this anxiety inside of me that was so intense, but I didn't know how to even process it or be aware of it or anything. I ended up going and having an aff- I had an affair. I had an affair with a girl that I met. This affair happened a few times. And I, at that point in my life, for me, cheating on my wife, like I don't even, I, I, the word affair is like too pretty of a word. I cheated on my wife. And in that process though, it was one of those things that I said, I'll never do this. This is like a moral, moral standard. I would never do something like this. And then all of a sudden I break it and it left me at a space of going like, well, then who am I? Like who, is, what, what, am I even worth? What is my value? Where's my identity? I kept trying to, I lived with it for a while. I was pastoring the church. My son was just born and I'm living with this lie. until one day I couldn't, I just said, I can't, I can't live with it like this. I'm willing to face the consequences of my actions. And so I came home one day and looked at my wife and just said, hey, I need to tell you something. And, you know, I said, "I, I cheated on you. And she packed up our son who was newborn a couple months at that time. Packed him up and just left. And I said, where are you going? She goes, I'm going to your parents. You know, she's like, I don't know where else to go. And so I called my parents and I said, hey, mom and dad, this is what I did. We'll talk about it later. And then I started to, you know, I had so much shame. I had so much shame around it, like so much. And at that point, I lost my marriage. I lost my job. I lost my community. I lost my status. I lost everything. So I started to drink. To numb, just to numb. Like I would sit in my car, and I would drink. Started out with like you know two tall boys, but then tolerance builds, and then it's six pack, and then tolerance keeps building, and it's a twelve pack, and you know the progression went. But I I would drink to numb out the shame, because for just a moment, the alcohol would do what it was supposed to, and just cause enough numbness where I wouldn't feel the shame around my actions. But that's what really got me into this space of isolation. And on one end, I was trying to restore what I broke with my marriage. And on the other end, I was hiding this thing that I was like still drinking to just numb out from my own feelings of inadequacy and shame and and failure. You know, so I was playing both sides of the card. And at some point, it wasn't going to work. So
0: yeah, I love how you started your story with feeling like you had to have all the answers so I'm curious now as you do that 360 who is Zach and what answers do you have now and where are your resources and how do you feel about having all the answers
1: (laughs) yeah I don't have I don't have all the answers and uh, it's really comfortable to be at the space where I don't have the answers it's funny like early 20s right like There was just this fire and driving me to be a mover, pusher, and having answers. And thirty-seven now, I think creeping up on the forty. But you know, I I'm more comfortable now saying I don't know, and I'm more comfortable now saying let's figure it out together. I think before I would have would have tried to figure it out and try to have an answer for you, but you know, even in my parenting, you know, I have a 12, seven and four year old now. And there are so many days I go, what the hell am I doing? Uh, You know, and like, I'm, I'm constantly in, in like, the learning phase of like, I'm reading books, and I'm talking to people, I, you know, I always try to have a mentor in my life, personally, just because I'm like, you need, I need a coach or a mentor, somebody that's going to be like, processing and helping me and, and And those are all, those all come out of a space of being like, that's because I don't have answers, you know? And yeah, I'm learning a lot. I know a lot more about sobriety than I ever did. I know a lot more about life than I did when I was early 20s. But in that same breath, the things I know, I'm always going to keep learning, you know? So it just feels different, so...
0: And you talk a lot about not wanting people to suffer alone and isolate. At what point in your process did you finally find community and support?
1: You know, what's funny is um, I think community was always there. I just chose not to hold on to it. The night I told my wife that I had the affair, I called one of the other staff members of the church and i i said hey dave this is what happened and uh he came over to my house and he literally just climbed up into my bed with me and and just like held me all night didn't say anything didn't reprimand didn't do anything he just sat there with me and uh he just let me just cry all night long and he just held me and he, he never he never left like never left my side in the fact that like they they are still great friends that come out every year to Hawaii and their whole family of six kids like you know come and camp in our yard so community was kind of always there but i personally isolated from it cuz i didn't think i was worthy enough to receive it and so that i mean like so that was all the way then and i'm just i'm thinking about it i had so many great people in my around my life so mm-hmm. community was there it just looked Different, Like even, for example, so my wife and I are still together now. We've been married. We're coming on 16 years this July. And eight years ago, you know, we decided to move to Hawaii. Um, and that was a big step for us because we had a really neat community in Coeur d'Alene. After we had gotten back together, I shared an office with some of these great guys. And we, we would spend life together and talk. And, and they were good good guys. But when we moved to Hawaii, it took us a while to rebuild community. But I would say a, a pivotal moment here in Hawaii with realizing I had didn't have to do this alone was I had a bunch of buddies invite me over for a barbecue. They just, hey, you know, come over. And so I, I came over and they were just doing an intervention and I didn't know it. You know, it was like, the, hey, was cut. And then all of a sudden I just got bombarded. Five guys that basically just stood up and said, we're not going to watch you destroy your, your life or your marriage. We're just, we're not. Like, we're going to fight it. Cause like my alcoholism started showing up at this point. Like my overuse of alcohol was becoming something that was seen. And so instead of them sitting by, they, they stood up and said, we will, we'll fight for you if you can't fight for yourself. And they got me into an outpatient treatment program. And that was a big moment where all of a sudden I, my eyes were open to going, I have people that care so deeply that they're willing to have the uncomfortable conversation the, they're willing to risk our friendship over, you know, calling me out on what needed to be called out. So, so it was there, but it wasn't until probably a few years ago that I was able to step out of isolation and into, into it because I think I had, a, I had to move out of the shame I saw around myself. And when I was able to step out of, out of the shame and into kind of more my true who I am, I was able to receive it more.
0: What type of communities grabbed you afterwards? Because I know you're a lover of personal coaches and always want someone to work with you. I, I'm definitely similar in that way. Did you get into the normal AA at first and then kind of diverge or did you get into some different programs and what, what made it motivated you to diversify what you do today?
1: Right. When like the idea of, like, I had a problem with drinking started coming to the surface, I went to AAA and did not connect. I sat in the back and, and judged everybody else around and told uh, myself that I'm not like them. I don't need to be here. And I would show up late, leave early and sit in the back. So i never really connected to AA, but I did that for a while. And I said, this doesn't work. Um, and it didn't work cause I didn't give it a shot, you know? And then I, I did, I, I went to an, <laughs> I, so after that intervention, my friends had basically it was like, they're one of my friend's wife was like, Hey, I want you to go see this counselor. And I was like, okay, sure. Next day I go see this counselor. And I thought I was seeing the counselor. I didn't realize she ran a whole recovery program. So literally I was like in there talking with her and she reminded me so much of my mom. And I actually reminded her a lot of her son. And so there was this weird connection and I remember she looks at me and she goes, Zach, like, um, I want you to just show up here tomorrow. The whole program's free just show up. And I'm like, I don't even know what I'm showing up to. I still was like, yeah, okay, I'll be here. And I showed up and all of a sudden I realized I was like, wait, I'm in like a treatment center. Uh (laughs) I really, I just had no idea. And so I did an outpatient treatment center, but when I walked through the doors, it was a mixed group of, you know, addictions. You know, it had people that were struggling with meth and alcohol and all these pills, all this stuff. Right. And I realized how judgmental I was still at that space of I judged the hard drugs versus the alcoholics differently. In that space with those group of people, my eyes opened so much to the reality that at that point I was like, man, we are all simply hurt, broken people trying to navigate life with the best intentions as we can have. And we got tripped up somewhere along the way. And so my grace and compassion for all aspects of addiction shifted at that point and yeah, and I, and then there was a weird shift where I felt like I I was okay being able to say like yeah, like I go to I go to this outpatient program. Yeah, I'm part of this group. I'm part of these people. Um where before I didn't want to be part of that those people. And uh so yeah, that was a, I think that was a big turning point for me too. But anyways, yeah, so right now um I've kind of tried I tried different things and and modes of recovery. What for me personally has has seemed to be the best fit for me is it's a mixture. Meaning that like I did the 90 meetings in 90 days and I burned out of AA. I was like, dude, this is too much. But that's me. Some people love it. I try to meet with like a mentor sp- every week. My wife and I still see a counselor on a monthly basis. So basically the way I, I, I've looked at it is – if I if my life is like a ship that's and I want to keep it tied down in a harbor, I need multiple anchor, anchors to hold it. So because the reality is is if I have multiple different facets of my recovery that holds me in my sober space, that when one anchor snaps, I got the others that are going to stay there and it gives me enough time to put down a new anchor and change out the anchor or make that maybe that's one maybe this one wasn't really working for me so I'll switch it. But now I so now I look at the whole grand scheme of it and be like, self-care is just as valuable as AA. AA is just as valuable as journaling. Journaling is just as valuable as community. So it it's, it's all t- together, so.
0: Yeah, and I know that it's something that's so unique. Our sobriety is so unique to who we are and we're all so unique. But one of the things that I think that you hit on that is a complete jackpot is what happens in the magic of community. Mm -hmm. So I know you started to go, um, you're creating your 30-day program to just take a break from alcohol. And I really commend you for that because for me, if I hadn't started sober, total daily drinker for years, and if I hadn't had breaks like that 30 days here 60 days there I wouldn't have been able to have the emotional capacity or stretching to finally give it up so it's so neat to
1: offer that to people well and I think to me like giving up the drinking is part of it but it's not like I know a lot of people in the rooms of AA that I look at their life and I go I want nothing to do with your life because like yeah they're sober but they are miserable human beings right like so to me like choosing to give up drinking is really all you're doing is presenting some more clarity in your life to to add more in that is a more effective more healthy way so like even like my 30 day my 30 day challenge one of the exercises that i have people do at the beginning is they write out their eulogy meaning like i want you to write out what your spouse, what your boss, what your friends. I want when you die and your kids, when you die, when you're standing there, what do you want them to say about who you are? And when at that point, then we can look at that and then we can go like let's reverse engineer and go backwards and go, okay, we know who you want to be at the end of the day, but now what do we, what are the things we have to do today? Like what are the small steps we take today that compound over a lifetime that get you to that spot where people are going to say that truth about you you know and so to me it's a it's a reversal of like and that to me matters like helping people step into like who they really are in their identity and then letting because i've always said it that like there's only one of us right in this whole entire world of these billions of people there's only one you tanya there's only one me and so in that if I don't live up to, to who I've designed to be and meant to be, the world misses out. The world is going to miss something. And alcohol to me numbs, numbs our senses to the point of like we're not fully giving the world the ones we love, the true who we are. I love the idea of creating space to get sober enough to realize all of a sudden you're like, whoa, there's way more to me than, than I had before.
0: It's like a, a spectrum, and you just have a tiny little pinprick of light when really who we end up being is such a broad sun of potential. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about what nourishes you now? I know you got a lot going on um, with your uh, fostering children in Hawaii, and um, I know you still love to get out there in the water. So, what does it look like to really live a life of balance
1: for you? Uh, that's a good question. There are some weeks that I'm really good at it. And some weeks that I'm not. And so I've learned that that's one part of it that I have to have grace for myself on the days that I don't do well. Uh, But so for me personally, I have developed the habit of every Sunday night, I sit down and I take all the crap that's in my calendar phone and I write it out onto a calendar whiteboard and I map it out. And I do this because There's something visual about seeing the space. And then I look at the space of the week and all of a sudden I I can look at it and go, oh, I didn't add any time in there for me. I didn't put any space to go surf. I didn't put any space to go do yoga. I didn't put any space to, you know, and so I have to like rethink my week and be like, "Mm, hmm, what can I get rid of to create space for it? And then some weeks they fit in there really easily. I know if I don't put it, like self-care in my calendar, I don't, I don't do it. And like, it's even like little self-care. Like I live two blocks from the beach. And so one of the things like a little self-care is like on my way home at the end of the day, like stopping and getting in the water for like five minutes and just get in the water and just let like, just, it's almost like a transition for me. It's like get in the water, come out. I get to come home and be more present as a dad and, and a husband. But I have to add that to my calendar, which is funny. Like you think, oh, you just jump in the water. You won't. You just don't, right. you don't create space for it. At least me, I won't. You know, I have an ice bath that I try to be intentional about getting in the ice bath, ideally every day. Like I try to get in it every day. And just for me, it's the, the most meditative space I could be in because if I get in the ice and I, if I'm mentally not there, I can only last like a minute. But if I'm mentally there, and like can feel it and be present and really check in, I can last for, you know, as long as I want to.
0: Unbelievable. Um, How is that so different from the ocean? I mean, I know I'm in California, so my ocean's a bit bit colder than you, but I kind of consider my ocean an ice bath.
1: Yeah, that might work for you. Like, so the ocean here is, you know, it's warm and beautiful and hot. And so, yeah, you could probably just go in the ocean there and you you would be considered ice bath. (laughs) It's probably probably the same concept, but back to your original, like the, yeah, well, the things I do is, you know, I, I try to stay grounded with a couple of two AA meetings a week, talking to people, jumping in the ocean, taking my, my son surfing, my wife and I have tried really hard to create the space when I come home at the end of the day to check in with each other. Before we get bombarded with life and kids and everything, we try to just go into the bedroom for like 10 minutes and we've started asking, um, what are your three feelings? Instead of like, how was your day? Because the answer to how your day was, be like, oh, it was good. But like when all of a sudden now we've started to go like, what are your three feelings you've had today? And I can stop and be like, so I usually when I'm coming home, I'm like, how do I feel right now? Because I know I have to check in. So I need to check in with myself first and figure out how am I feeling and then it gets a space where I can be like, well, I'm, I'm feeling anxious because of this, or I'm feeling a little discouraged because this didn't go the way I thought it would today, or I'm feeling really excited. And it, it was a great, you know, but like, whatever it is, I can lay my feelings out and somebody can hear them, not fix them, not do anything with them, just hear them. And then we can kind of move together through the rest of our day, aware of where we've been with our feelings.
0: Wow, um, unbelievable.
1: So, yeah, so that's become like a, and I, like I said, like that's become a daily practice with a lot of grace because we don't do it every day, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'll do it today because I just talked to you about it, and then, mm-hmm. so I'm like, oh, that reminds me, I'll do that later, but but yeah, there's definitely days we don't do it, so
0: yeah, amazing. Well, yeah, I really appreciate that yeah and I definitely know how challenging it can be just raising kids and all the right. dynamics of everything, but I love your vision for the future uh also, can you tell me a little bit about some of the people that have been really inspirational to you um some of the coaches maybe that you have that have um really called you and to step into the higher person that you are today
1: you know I think it's funny I think if you choose to let it, everybody can have a you can see the impacted each person everybody's had, you know, cause I think we rub off on each other and we impact each other for with each other. So that's a tough one for me because so many people that give me just a little nugget here and a little nugget here. Uh, you know, one, one guy he's, I've met with him a few times and he's come over and done some conference stuff over here in Hawaii. And he's, he's based out of Seattle. His name's Jamie Winship. And I really, he, he basically, he teaches identity, meaning like he'll actually come in and work with big corporations and helping people discover their identity and where they fit in the workplace. But he he kind of opened my eyes to a couple years ago to this idea that like, you know, because I held on to the identity of the guy that had the affair or the identity of an alcoholic. The, you know, those are what I became to believe is my identity. And so I, I learned with him how to begin to listen, like listen for this little still voice inside of me that could tell me who i really am like what is my identity who, who, who i'm called to be and when i began to do that there was a, a big shift and all of a sudden realizing i wasn't living into my identity of who i am and and then i began to so he, he was very influential.
0: And question about that, because I, like I said, I really liked how you started the sto- uh, your story about being someone who felt that they had to have all the answers. And to me, Zach, it seems like now you are okay with being uncomfortable with not having the answer. And that's what's giving you the grace and the openness and the humility to be who you are. Is that what you consider your, what you learn from that as far as your own personal identity?
1: As far as my personal identity goes, if I look back to way back then, I think there was a lot of me that was living into my identity as far as like developing and creating and all these pieces. I just had a warped concept of thinking I had to have it all figured out. Beautiful. And so for for now, for example, I still like the words I've used to to define kind of who I am, my identity or uh, the name I'd call myself is is a cultural architect, meaning like I don't care – what the environment I step into is per se, it's more the fact I love to help shift culture. I love to take take something that's in existence and go, how do we how do we move this to become more better, appealing, loving, you know, and so like even the sober world, like the sober world has existed, right? Of like you either go to a treatment center or AA and I'm going, No, there's more. Yeah. So how do I get to step into like my identity is to be the architect of the culture? Oh, that's so, so cool. So how do I step into the culture of sobriety now and go shift it and be part of it? But now I can do it from a place of not having to go, I'm going to come in and change everything because I know it all. Now I get to come in and go, I get to come in and because that's my identity is I want to help shift our culture to something more beautiful. And I'm okay having the humility of saying, I don't quite know how to do that yet or how we're going to figure that out together. But I know that that's part of what, that's me. That's what I like to do. So like even the foster care, right? Like- my favorite thing about it is like, yeah, I love that we get to help kids and they get backpacks and all these different programs that exist. But what I love to do is I love to get to help change the culture to go like, have we seen the foster system? How do we shift the foster system? How do we make it you know better? And so, yeah, that, that's, that's my identity. But I can, I can move in it a little more comfortably now because I don't have all the answers. I just know who I am.
0: That's fantastic. So then, thank you so much for answering that question so well. That's super wonderful. Another question I have for you, what what are some of the things that really break your heart in our sobriety culture now?
1: I think we are just going to say in the world. I was like, that's a big question. (laughs) Um, Still a big big question in our sobriety. Um, I think that some of the things that break my heart is, one, speaking on when people choose to get sober – on that side, I think what really breaks my heart is they get so attached to the identity of an alcoholic and or a recovered alcoholic that they're they're still missing who they really are. Oh,
0: that's like, so beautiful. Good. And yeah. I
1: did that. I, I jumped into this like, oh, I'm an alcoholic and that's my identity. And I was like, no, that's not my identity. That's my struggle. And I care less about the labels of things. If you want to call yourself sober free, if you want to be I struggle with alcohol. I'm an alcoholic I've recovered from alcohol i don't I don't really care because that's just a that's an issue It's not your identity so that's one of my things that breaks my heart is is we get too attached to the name of it, and then we we center ourselves around it. I think it is one and then on the other side of the people that are are in the world of the consuming of alcohol and probably have this little deep down voice going. You're not living up to who you're, who you are, made to be. But what what makes me so sad, I think, in that world is, the more you dive into to recovery and sobriety, majority of the time it's such a fear. There's so much fear around getting sober that people just will hold on to the drink just because the fear of having to face life, you know, and face. Some of them, maybe it's traumas or hurts or situations or beliefs they have. Like, yeah, you, you begin to, once you sober up, you have to face them. Some, you know, the hope is you face them. It breaks my heart that we have a culture that promotes alcohol so much that it, that really is what it's doing is we're just numbing our culture down to a space of just not facing our lives and stepping into our identities. And Instead, we just numb out with alcohol and go, "No, this is the only way for me to enjoy life." And I go, this is, "It's it's not truth." Yeah. So yeah, I, for me, I, I want to change the culture in the fact of like, I want to change the big culture, meaning that like the world all of a sudden goes, "Wait, alcohol has been a big lie." Like I want it to get to the space where like, back when cigarettes used to be like, "Oh, that's what you do. They're cool. You smoke it." You know, it's all the beliefs and everyone believed it, and then the the truth came out. I want to go to bat against the big alcohol companies, you know, and be like, it's a lie. What wow. you guys present as a lie?
0: I love how you did both of the culture of, um, <laughs> of alcoholism and actually the fear about people quitting. And I know before we got on, we were talking about TikTok and some of the really heartfelt answers when you had reached out. What is your biggest fear about quitting drinking? Can you tell us some, maybe some ideas that you got from that that kind of Oh, there was a ton.
1: There was like three or four hundred people that like shared just such heartfelt things. Yeah, I think a lot of people, the fear they had was there was the fear of being accepted, the fear of losing their friends, the fear of being boring, the fear of having to face our your past, the fear of shame, you know, but a lot of I mean, a, a big overall arching fear I kept hearing was the fear of of not being fun anymore, being boring, and losing your friends. Wow. You know, which I, which I look at, I go, so the belief, so then I, when I hear fear, I go, well then what is the belief they have? And the belief they have is that that they're boring and they only connect with their friends because of alcohol. So if that's the belief, you know, then, they have to keep drinking to live in that manner so how do we shift the belief that they you know that you're not a boring human being how do we change that how do we, how do we help you see that you're not but yeah it was interesting like I, I did you know that was a really common common fear people had
0: i feel like we just really need to find a way like you're doing to make space for people's fears, because nobody's going to grab onto it. Nobody's going to move past their fears unless we give them space to look at that. So Yeah.
1: yeah you got to be able to name it before you can move through it. You know, like I, I, I had the hardest time with the concept of acceptance for a long time, because I always believed that if I accept something that meant I settled for it. Like I just was like, Oh, if I'm going to accept that I'm an alcoholic or if I'm going to accept the fear I have around this, that means I'm just going to settle for it. And then I don't know who it was when we were talking about it. And they're like, no, you're not settling in for it if you accept it. You're, but you have to be able to accept whatever it is to see any change in it. Because if I can't accept it, then my subconscious is going to tell me it's not an issue and I'm never going to look at it and address it. So like, for example, like, being able to take a fear you have, you have to be able to look at it and accept that fear. Like that's truth. Like I have a fear that I'm not going to have friends anymore if I stop drinking. So, okay, that, 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 that accept that, accept that. And then once you accept it, your brain has power enough to like go, okay, I'm going to accept that I might lose all my friends when I stop drinking. Then you can start speaking truth around it and changing the truth. But if I have, if I don't accept it, I avoid it and basically push it away.
0: Yeah, we're so comfortable with having an illusion that and living in an illusion that isn't true, thinking that our lives are only sustainable with alcohol or that we have to to live this certain way in order to be okay. Um, I think that one of the superpowers that sobriety gives you is to start to embrace uh, living in the unknown more.
1: No, I think it does. I think one of the most beautiful things about sobriety is that like Usually when you choose to say, I'm going to be sober, you're going to also choose to work on yourself. Like Absolutely. you're going to work on stuff, you know, like you're going to work on whatever you drank over. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I usually, I look at people that are sober and I go, I like you guys. Cause you, you're usually people in the world that are choosing to like better themselves. So.
0: Yeah. And that's another reason why I like the name of your podcast, Braving the Journey, because it is a journey. It's such mm-hmm. an ongoing journey until we close our eyes in this lifetime forever.
1: Yep. Yeah. So I, and we're such destination people though, which is funny. Like when I get here, when I'm here, when, you know, and we, we, I say it to myself all the time. Oh, when I retire, uh, oh, when my kids graduate. Oh, when I, you know, as if there's a destination to do something when the reality is like, one, I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. And two, what is a destination? The ground, the grave, like that's where we're all going to go, you know? And so as far as in this lifetime with my body and that, that exists now. And so to me, I look at, it, I go, it's the journey. It's, and it's not an easy one. It's never going to be, you know, but it's a journey that we get to walk and we get to walk it together, which I think is great.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. Ken, is that also your TikTok handle right now on your Instagram is braving the journey?
1: Yeah, everything. Yeah. I mean, braving the journeys, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, um, braving the com is the website. Just keep it simple. All you gotta yeah. do is just remember that. So.
0: And uh when can people look out for your 30-day challenge, and how can they sign up? Just oh,
1: cool. you're calling me out on it. Um, <laughs> I am halfway through recording all of the videos, so uh let's go for Independence Day, Fourth of July. Let's, all
0: right, let's, let's, all right, that's
1: is that a good. La- all right, let's launch then. As soon as it comes out, it will be if you if you take the time and follow. You can go to bravingthejourney.com and actually subscribe and you'll get emails from me. Or if you just follow me on Instagram or TikTok, um, as soon as a 30-day sober challenge goes live, it, it all start pushing it. So,
0: Do you think that your clientele is more um, men or do you are you pretty co-ed?
1: I'm pretty co-ed. I connect really well with women. Like I feel like and the content that I, I'm... Kind of presenting. So the basically, like the thirty days sober challenge, a couple of things it does. Is it's like it kind of guides you through this progress of like acceptance at the beginning, identifying who you want to be, and then moving, and then us in this thirty day process, moving to a space of beginning to like, how, what do we have to do to live that way, and putting a lot of little things into practice throughout these thirty days. And so every single day for thirty days, you're going to basically, you get an email from me. Talking a little bit, giving you a kind of a journal prompt and challenge, and then you get like a video that we talk stuff out, and then twice a week, uh, you could jump on the the zoom it's just a q and a group zoom time where you can ask questions and be in part of the process um, to just dig more deeply, but yeah, so it's for anybody it'll be good yeah,
0: amazing well i'm so excited for you. it was wonderful to have you on today to do your podcast, and I love everything that you're doing you're such a compassionate person and I'm so happy that you are where you are today. And I'm so looking forward to what's going to happen with your retreats in Hawaii, because Hawaii is one of the most amazing places in the world.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I know. I'm like, I love it here. I'm like, I already picture this like retreat, like out in Hana jungles, waterfalls exploring. Like, I'm just like, Oh, I'm so excited to go. Tanya. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for what you're doing. I love that you spell your, your name the exact same way my wife does. Oh
0: yeah, I forgot about that. I think
1: you're the first person I've met though. I was like, wow, that's crazy.
0: And I love how both our podcasts have um, the word brave in it. I think that's just amazing.
1: So that is good.
0: So thank you so much, Zach. I appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you all for listening. As you know, I just absolutely love getting to talk to amazing people like we did today. Um, please reach out to me. You can email me at thehealedhero at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at heal your hero, or please join my Facebook group. It's where I post all my events and free classes that I'm hosting for June. And that Facebook group is called the Healed Hero Collective. See you soon. Have a wonderful day.